0: Hey, Thanks for joining us today on Uptime Logistics. It's powered by CAP Logistics and I am your host, Doug Draper. I'm with the Denver Transportation Club and today we have uh, an amazing guest. We've been talking a little bit behind the scenes about his his background and we're super excited to to have him on. It's James Hillman. Uh, He's a logistics professional with many years of, uh, of experience and he's coming to us from Sparwood, BC up in Canada. So we're excited to to talk to him and if you had to do a uh a, an episode title on this one um you could say it's stories and musings from a third generation miner <laughs> uh, we, we kind of came up with that one together but we're going to talk about mining logistics and really about how the mining industry impacts people um and uh, and and uh, communities and um kind of go from there so we always like to learn a little bit about our guest james so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself kind of um a little bit about your background and how you got in the logistics world. Sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Happy to do that. So as, as described, I'm a third generation miner. Um, My grandfather was here in the Crohn's Valley area and he worked in and around the mining industry, whether it was supporting with the, uh, he was a bit of a tinker or mad, mad scientist so he made a lot of different equipment um and tweaks to equipment so yeah he did that um and then my dad got into the industry and worked in the industry up until this past january and so he had 43 years with uh in the industry with shovels specifically electric rope shovels and then myself um i started early just out of high school i tried it a bit but I think maybe I was just too talkative and needed to go and stretch my legs and see what the rest of the world had to offer. So I went out to the coast of BC, had fun out there, worked in the restaurant industry, dabbled in um, beer and wine. I helped a couple of guys start some breweries. And uh, yeah, I just tried my hand at a lot of stuff, but then I became a dad. And uh, being a dad uh, requires, as we we all know, a lot of responsibility. So my pops, said hey why don't you come home and uh, that's what I did so I've been back in the valley uh, for now about 15 years just about just shy of 15 years and um, so I work with a manu- major manufacturer or supplier of mining equipment here in the area and um, when you say I'm a logistics professional I am but I'm in the like I'm in what I call the merge lane you guys all drive. You're familiar with the stress and frustrations of the merge lane. My job as an account manager is to manage that space where we as a supplier try to lockstep with the customers. So the customers are through traffic and we're just trying to make sure that we can lockstep and get them what they need and get them where they need to go um, with as little friction as possible. Because you know you can have the ticker on but that doesn't mean anybody's going to let you in. Yeah. So that's that's a little bit about me. We'll we'll probably d de- dive deeper.
0: Yeah. No that's terrific. That, that that's a great background. Yeah, I was teaching my son how to drive a couple years ago and I'm like it's like a big fishbowl. Nothing ever stops when you get on that highway, you need to make sure you're in uh, <laughs> uh, merging appropriately. So that's a great analogy for for business. Yeah. So that that's terrific. So um you know, we're the, the, the folks listening to us, obviously you don't have a pickaxe and you don't have a light on your head or, 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 uh, or covered with soot. So uh, no. you know, that's, the, that's kind of the mining perception that folks have. So maybe we just start off and, and talk about what mining looks like in 2020, right, and, and, and maybe break down some of the preconceived notions uh, or yeah. just kind of what, what, what goes on um, nowadays.
1: Yeah, like I think that you know traditionally the industry is you know from coming from different industries. When I first got back into it, I, I felt it was a bit static. It's a, it's it's a very iterative um, industry. It's slow to change because um, most of the equipment is tested um, and proven. But what we're seeing these days is is we're we're getting a lot more technology in the industry. There's a lot more analysis done. You know, there's we'll we'll probably talk big data at some point because there's a a lot of that happening. So that that stereotype of the hard hat and that it exists. There are folks that do still get really dirty, but there's this really interesting mix of folks in in the business now where we have technology. We we have um, application engineers. Um, or folks doing analysis on, you know, just like fuel burn, efficiency, you know, like, let's call it AI of a sort, where you, you need to analyze what's the right thing to have at the right place at the right time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know? And uh, that's changing a lot. So it's, it's a challenge for the industry to even attract those folks, because to your point, most people think, you know, you're out there just moving rocks and, and working on heavy equipment, but that's changed a lot.
0: Yeah. So you, you'd mentioned it's traditionally an industry slow to change, right? But is it uh, mostly, you know, you have a mine and this massive infrastructure in order to, mm-hmm. to do what you're supposed to be doing with digging up ore and things of that nature. Is, it, is the slow change just because it's so gosh darn expensive with, with, the, um, with the equipment or is it more just a mentality of the workforce there that's, you know, kind of, hey, we've always done it this way? There's a bit of that,
1: you know, like there's a, there's a, a, a high degree of risk of introducing a new product. Like if you introduce a new product and it doesn't work, the downtime associated with that is enormous. So that, that cost, that risk of, of putting a new product in, into play um, can have catastrophic effects. So the, the customer um, is, is going to want to mitigate that risk and lessen it. Um, so, that's why you see a lot of the same things being done and you just tweak it a little bit to get an improvement whether it's you know with a shovel and it's cycle time being reduced or a truck that can haul slightly more or slightly faster Um, those those marginal they seem marginal small gains actually have an enormous impact once you stretch it out over a year two years ten years Mm -hmm. Um, As an example would be, um, just off the top of my head, so electric shovels will have a cycle time of say 30 seconds. So they'll through the phase to pick up material to put it into a truck. Well, if you can shave a second off of that, well that shovel will load say 300 trucks, so that's 900 cycles a day. You take those 900, you take 900 seconds off and you amplify that over the year, that's a big saving. So these little incremental changes mean a lot. Yeah,
0: I can definitely see that. Um, let, let's take a step back with with kind of the industries that the mining serves, right? Because again, you're thinking, all right, mm-hmm. coal comes to mind, and, and the basic nature of generating power. But I know we spoke on uh, the last couple of days about, about other things that people may not realize that the mining industry um, touches. So maybe some industries that it yeah. serves and expand on that a little bit. For sure. Well,
1: I think you know, there's, there's a bumper sticker that this goes, goes around in our industry, and that is if you can't grow it, you got to mine it. So pretty much everything you need is either going to be grown or mined. So the phones or the technology that we're using right now come from mining. So this area here is known for metallurgical coal. So there's two groups of coal. There's thermal coal, which is for, used for power. Um, and then there's metallurgical coal. And metallurgical coal is the carbon in steel. So if you want anything made out of steel, you need this coal. And so that, that product is supplied around the globe and used for everything from paper clips to the phone we're talking on right now. So it is, it's it yeah, can't get any more important than that at the end, I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. And I'm glad you made that 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 uh um clarification. Cause I'm like, they're not mining computers and cell phones and microphones down there. Nope. But yeah, you're <laughs> you, you're exactly right. I mean it's it's the stuff that makes stuff. Um yeah. and, and you gotta yeah. be out there. So And um and
1: this go ahead. Yeah. No, go for it. Well, I, I was just gonna put in there like that it's interesting in this area because when we talk about the stuff that makes stuff. Interestingly enough, this area where the Met Coal know, the, the Elk Valley, historically, this area had a lot of underground mines. And those underground mines predominantly mined thermal coal. So that thermal coal was used to power the steam trains that went through this region. So they're using that product to power a train to, to haul people and products. Um, and over the years, that became inefficient and then was replaced by, you know, electric trains or diesel trains pardon me and now the coal in this area is hauled by those same railways around the world to make railways trains etc and it still employs you know the the people of this area this whole area is grown up on that i mean it's supported by it ultimately Mm -hmm. yeah so it ties into that logistical element in my mind because Originally the logistics was powered by the coal and now logistics powers the coal to get elsewhere.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I, pre- that's a, a good analogy. So let's jump into um, a little bit about the logistics of, of working a mine, right? This could be, mm. this in and of itself could be a, an hour discussion, right? But I <laughs> wanted to, to, to maybe talk a little bit about maybe the flow of logistics, how it works. Maybe talk a little bit about, um, services and 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 um, items used to get into the the mine right i mean you got trucks and trains to bring products so the mine can run then obviously you need to sell it right so they can make things and then you have the transportation logistics that takes it out of the mine obviously the world makes steel not just the us so it has to get out of the country so maybe talk about the little the logistics touch points going into the mine Mm -hmm. to support it and then the finished products kind of going out of the mine
1: yeah. Well, I think you got to start with where the mine is, you know, a lot of them are, are quite remote. Um, this one here, fortunately is on, uh, on a good bend in the road that you can get people to because, you know, I, I, we talked about it before briefly. And that is it, I think logistics is life. Like it doesn't, you know, you can't separate those two. Um, so a mine in order to function needs people. So that's, I think really where it starts. Is you gotta get the people to the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see that here in the area of, of, we've got a lot of people coming in and out on their shifts. Um, so you've got an economy built on that, but it's also supported by the outlying areas of say, Calgary, Lethbridge, Cranbrook, etc. cetera. Um, so you've got all these people coming into the space. Um, and then within the mine itself, it's an incredibly complex network of, um the coal that wow, I don't know how deep we want to dive on this, but the coal in this area does not lay on flat beds. Hey, it is met coal is crushed or compressed between layers of rock. And in this area it's limestone. So those layers of rock don't lie flat, they lie on an angle. And each layer of coal is slightly different grade. So the mines here have to dig up all it's a 10 to 1 ratio you move 10 tons of rock to get one ton of coal hence the cost but so they have to chase these different grades of coal to blend it for the particular customer so that is a logistical challenge when you have to move a bunch of mountains out of the way to get at the coal then that coal needs to be moved to the plant um, and then it'll be blended prior to the plant get cleaned and then Loaded out onto trains. The trains are, um, how oh many? I got, this is like a test almost of how many cars are on there. I think it's 300 cars. Let's just go with 300 cars. Somebody can fact check me afterwards. You can put it across the bottom. But, uh, so they'll load those, those cars out uh, and then they put a, um, a spray over the top of it so that the coal doesn't blow away because it, you expect it to be really big chunks but it actually is, much bigger than this yeah it's probably even smaller than this phone it's about the size of this bottle cap so it's quite granular they'll spray it and then most of the coal from this area actually goes to um vancouver's ports and then from there it's dispersed and the cost of that coal is you know based you know obviously on market value but it's two port is the price so that's that's a part of it now in terms of supplying you know on the logistics side my world and that merge lane the merge lane occurs when we as a vendor that supports the mine we need to get the machines and the parts you know we joked about the flux capacitor needing that widget um, because when when our products go down the material doesn't move so you got to get that machine back up so anticipating those needs having inventory close or inventory that can be brought in in a timely fashion. That's like one of the biggest challenges that we all
0: face. You know, and that's
1: that's when my life in the Merge Lane gets very uncomfortable.
0: Right. Yeah, I can I can appreciate that. You mentioned that things get blended on site. Um, I yeah. didn't, didn't even know that. So you have the mine itself. It goes down the street and they literally combine the rocks and churn it up and then put it in the, is that kind of a very yeah, basic? Yeah, that's kind of it, right? Yeah. Yeah, they, like the coal has like different
1: con- or grades, you know, different content of ash versus. And uh, so they're going to mix it together to get the ratio that the particular customer wants. So it's not just all one kind. You know, it's, there are different grades of the coal. And the coal in this area is some of the highest ca- carbon coal or met coal in the world, actually. So it's sort of the gold standard. So it isn't as impacted by price fluctuation. But it's still impacted.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you have some of the best coal in the world up there, and obviously it's 24/7, 365. You don't want it to ever yes, go sir. down. Yes. Sir. Right. And so yep. you're probably getting calls at three in the morning to say the flux capacitor just blew up. What the heck are we going to do?
1: <laughs> yeah. So
0: in, in those type of instances, I mean, how, how are you guys preparing or or reacting to those type of uh, you know just in time? Is there um, a parts depot that's physically on site, do you just have the right type of um, customers you partner with, like a Cap Logistics mm-hmm. to get it there quickly? Talk about how yeah. you respond to, oh my gosh, situations. Yeah, like
1: you, you, um, you, you do your best, you know, um, and I hearken back to my, my restaurant days of, you know, you try to hope that you know how many potatoes you need tonight. Well, that's the same thing in this industry is you, you, you hedge, you understand what's commonly breaking you understand what's you know in that wear out phase and you try to have that the customer will have some of these items it's called them you know consumable widgets we will have a layer of protection so support for that um, and then really you do start to rely on these networks of supply um, and delivery chain. Um, so we have offices in Edmonton and you know um, Gillette throughout the West. And then our main office is in Milwaukee. And so we'll pull stuff out of there. And then really these, the flux capacitor is easy. It's about this big. Uh, we don't have a flux capacitor, <laughs> yeah. but it yeah, would be yeah. cool. Um, but we'll get up to, to the parts, you know, that are like, man, well, we've like 65,000 pounds and that becomes challenging to move, right? So you you hope that you have that, you know nearby because it's not as easy to move um, and getting let's call it 50,000 pounds onto a plane and moved overnight is not the easiest task so uh, mm-hmm. generally speaking though you here's like just on just on that oftentimes what we find is that you can except for these really terrible moments where you got to move a 60,000 pound part you can probably move it within North America faster than you can take take it off and put a new one on. Hmm. So let's, let's use that as an example. Your, your, your machine goes down, it'll take a day sometimes to get that thing off. Well, you can have the thing you need, the replacement part already moving, and by the time they're ready, that part's arrived. So you can minimize that downtime.
0: Hmm. Is your, uh, part of your responsibilities to do the, the actual maintenance? So hey, here's the, here's the new part, and I present it to the repair guy right there at the mine. Yep. Is part of your role and part of your commitment to the client to say we will also put it on and make sure it's running correctly.
1: Oh yeah, like as as a team, we we take care of that to soup to nuts, right? You know, we're gonna we're gonna let you know when we see things that are a problem, you know, and that's that's uh, oh, there's a word for this, but there's a Japanese word where. You know, I want to say it's Gamba, but it doesn't matter. Right. Um, there, when your touch time on the machine gives you these opportunities to see what's happening in real time, so you've got your planning side of it. You know, you know that the widget should last, let's say, 20,000 hours. Um, but what you want to make sure is that you're having touch time on the equipment so you can actually see what's really happening to it. So we'll take care of that. But that feeds back or should feed back into your supply chain or your planning team so that they can adequately go, okay, it looks like the flux capacitor is giving us some trouble. Let's get one or two moving to support that. Um, so we'll do that. So we'll we'll let them know, hey, you need a new flux capacitor. B, we're gonna probably start moving it ahead of time and then they may already order it before it goes and then we'll put it on and confirm that it's working. We yeah, kinda that's, like,
0: that's we'll babysit great.
1: you as much as we can, man.
0: Yeah. A little bit of guessing. That's a great transition to one of the next topics. Was talking about the rise of the smart mine, right? Um, And some modernization. I'm pretty sure you're not uh, having some guy out there just looking with a flashlight to see if the valves look worn. I'm sure there's pretty amazing technology. (laughs) We got that guy. We got that guy. (laughs) His name's His name's Fred, right? Yeah, Um, Fred. Yeah, (laughs) it's um, on his
1: coveralls. Yeah. Right.
0: So anyway, tell us a little bit about some of the technology out there um, that's in existence right now that helps yeah. you make those right decisions so uh, mm-hmm. you minimize the, the downtime and more importantly, keep the uptime moving forward. So talk yeah, about that sure. a little bit.
1: Yeah, like what we see in the industry, not just us, but, you know, all members that are equipment suppliers in the industry and, and customers are moving to what they call remote health monitoring. So they, you know, think of it in your cars on Star but you want to be able to remotely see what that machine is doing. Um, So that enables you to respond quicker to getting the parts that may be needed or what you also see, and this is the advantage of the technology is that when you do have a problem, some of this technology will self-diagnose now so that the guy who's showing up to fix it will have a better idea what to do. So we offer those services, you know, we've, Got folks sitting in rooms all over North America watching screens, which is effectively watching the machine. And then we'll let the customer know, hey, look, this thing over here in the corner doesn't seem quite right. You might know, want to go take a look at it. So the, that's that's one side of the technology. And then the other side of it is you know just using technology to tweak the performance of the equipment. You know, having the the ability to shave seconds off of the performance you know it's at zero to 60 moment you know through technology you're you're up to 60 faster Um, there's a lot of that going on um and then the big move these days you know sort of to backtrack there but you know you move people away from the equipment to keep them safer that's the remote health monitoring side of it you um Reduce the touch time physically, which is a big save because this stuff hurts people quite easily. But now we're really starting to look at more and more of that, you know, that semi-autonomous or autonomous equipment when you take people out of the equation even more so that they're not in harm's way. You know, they're not getting dusty anymore because they're just sitting in a room. Um, So that's a big movement in the industry right now.
0: Gotcha. So you're saying that um, if something is uh, needs to be checked, right, just to, yep. to validate if it's still working, all the way down to an actual repair, mm-hmm. is it like a self-autonomous vehicle, like a robot that's going in there to double-check things, and there's somebody two miles away that's looking at a screen controlling it? No, we're not quite there yet, but I, you
1: know, I wouldn't be surprised if that's coming. But what we'll have is we have sensors on the machine, so we'll be able to analyze the vibrations from bearings etc so that when the guy gets there we go hey you need to go look at exactly this spot to check this out um we have not gotten to you know to robots that run around like r2 and and, and reconnect wires for us yet but uh yeah hopefully someday now the autonomous side really kind is part of the equipment operator side of it is it you can get you know it's like the self-driving car That The short version is is that's the direction of the industry because equipment-on-equipment incidents are where most people get, you know, they're big machines. Nah, you don't want to be in anywhere near an equipment-on-equipment collision. Mm -hmm. So if we can get people out of that space, we keep them safer. And like it or not, they perform better. (laughs) Yeah. I like yeah. to think I'm a great driver, but the car, or the computer is probably a better driver than I am. I know it's better at chess than I am. So yeah, there you
0: go. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So that that leads kind of into uh, workforce development, right? So we mm-hmm. joked at the we joked at the beginning about a soot covered face and a and a yeah. headlight up here and yeah. and the 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 um, knowledge base. Is dramatically different from, you know, reality now that we just spoke about that. So talk about workforce development. You're kind of in remote sites that you had indicated. Mm-hmm. You have to have, a, yeah. uh, you know, a higher level of worker that understands some technology and things of that nature. What, what's it like with trying to make sure you get the right people in the right place um, related to mine and how you're having difficulty or not difficulty attracting the right talent? Talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, for our our team specifically, um, it's very specialized actually. So it's not as simple as you pull a mechanic or an electrician in as the industry has changed and the technology on board the machine is, is improved. Um, it, it is just not as simple as connecting the red wire and the green wire anymore. So it's very specialized in that sense. So. Now, to summarize, I guess, you would, it usually takes us five years to get somebody up to the level. You're bringing an apprentice in or just your standard tradesman. It takes five years to get them up to where we need them to be. Um, just simply because when the gear goes down, they have to be experienced and knowledgeable enough to get it back up as quickly as possible. So it takes a lot of time. Um, and it's, it's a challenge to, to attract folks into this industry because of a bit of the stereotype and also because it, it, it's challenging. It's stressful. It takes a particular type of person that doesn't mind. Uh, hey, is it fixed yet? Hey, when's it going to be back up? Is it fixed yet? All right. Um, Cause there's a lot of pressure on the, on the line. So yeah, it, it takes quite a bit of time. And then to your point, you know, it's like, it's tough, but a lot of times it's the Maytag repairman. He sits there a lot and he's waiting. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's like, Five alarm, five uh, five car alarm, and oh, we go to the mine to fix this thing. So you you wait around, you circle the tower a lot, like a fireman you wait, and then off you go and, and uh, correct the problem and fix the problem for the customer. So it, it's a it's a real challenge for us. It's it's not easy at all. It takes the right kind of person. So it takes a lot of recruitment and training and, uh, and patience with it. Yeah, and and I think that that's something we're going to see even more long term as the, as more technologies involved you can still troubleshoot it remotely you know you can give somebody some advice um, or give them a point them in the right direction but you're still going to need that person on site that'll never go away you know and until the the gear is disposable yeah you're going to need somebody to fix yeah. the gear so
0: where where do you f- so. yeah where, where do you find the, the, the folks so you, do you have an active recruitment program in uh, universities and colleges or is it just kind of natural and organic from from other miners yep. or to just pass it down in the family.
1: Yeah, yeah, there's there's a lot of recruitment, you know, in the manufacturing side of it, we go to um, the universities, the trade schools to recruit, and then for ourselves here, you know, we'll, we'll actively recruit, um, but it's interesting, there's a lot of, you know, let's say, you know, on our technical service side, we got like, say, six guys. One of them is a new guy right and then maybe one of them will get promoted and move to another location so we'll bring another person in so there's a lot of mentorship that goes on in this so it's not like we go out and hire six guys at once you know it's 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 a slower process um, but yeah you know the, the typical avenues um but for the most part yeah, the selection process is longer because it is such an investment in, in
0: this yeah. person. Um, hey, let's talk a little bit about the uh, environmental impact, right? I mean, that's—I wouldn't say it's the elephant in the room per se, but I, I know that yes. you, you know it's uh, it totally hey, tearing is. up the earth it and things, and which are very valid concerns. Totally get it, and obviously, the industry is very aware of it. You More know, um, what, what's the uh, talk a little about that about mm-hmm. the mitigation of the environmental impact and things of that nature?
1: Yeah, there there is, it's yeah. yeah it, it is always the elephant in the room, you know. Um, more, the more requirement for mine materials, if you will, um, the more demand for that, the more mines that we will probably see. Um, but there are a lot of regulations, particularly here in Canada, uh, North America specifically, that it, it's not so easy to just open a mine. You have to have all the controls in place and then the uh, the reclamation process. This area is. Taking great strides to control it, so you've obviously got you know everything from like a drop of oil off of a machine um, all the way to the dust that it it puts out to the exhaust from the vehicles. It's all tightly controlled, and you know, interestingly enough, you know, there's there's the environmental side of it, but there's a cost side to that too. You know, your your vehicle idling costs you money, so it's not just you know it's bad for the environment, but it also costs you money. So there's those two things that they, that are always being considered. Um, I also like to think, you know, and this is probably the one that you know, rubs people the wrong way, but yes, you can see a, a mine from space, but you can also see a city from space, and that one gives us the other. Now to clean up a mine, you go talk to one company, and they do that, and they're regulated and required to do it it's hard to get a city to clean up you know there's a lot more involved in that process so you see great strides happening on both sides but it's people forget that this one over here also has an impact probably i don't know Yeah. That one makes a ton of friends that one, yeah.
0: but they're both, visible. you know, you have a good way of uh, explaining different, uh, you know, your analogies that we've had here during the conversation have been great. I personally can get it right. I understand what you're saying. So I appreciate, uh, it's great, great analogies and yeah. in, in comparisons. So one thing you had mentioned, um, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about kind of parting shots or things you'd like to end the conversation with. And, and I'm going to ask you that, but I'm also going to start because mm. I want to make sure we cover it. Um, you would use a term called the life cycle of materials and resources and how that's going to gain importance. I think that's a great statement that needs some more detail on it. So, um, this is the question, what's the parting shot, but I also want you to dive into that one. (laughs)
1: Yeah. You know, like my, my, my parting shot, you know, it it is, um, you know, it it goes back to that city versus mine, you know, like that, that, that civilization uh, Mining has enabled us to do all these amazing things. But along the way, I think that you we know, we've, we've gr- spent great energy and knowledge and, and, and intel- intellectual power to reduce costs, be more efficient about getting this stuff out of the earth and creating really cool things like iPads and phones and cars that fly probably here shortly. Or they'll drive themselves. But we seem to be forgetting that, you know, as we move along. We have bigger cities and we'll probably have more people and we're gonna have to have more mines. but we seem to be forgetting what happens with the stuff after we're done with it. So that 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 material has value at the end. And, and I, w- I would challenge us all that we need to consider that a full life cycle. When I sell a product to the customer, and when it's a new piece of equipment, I talk about the whole cycle of what it costs over the entire life and what it's worth at the end well, we need to do the same thing with the materials we pull out of the earth. They have value at the end, but I don't know if we're addressing that. So that'd be my parting nice. shot for That's everybody great. in
0: the room. Well, we've been talking to James Hillman, who, first and foremost, third generation miner. That's very cool. You don't hear that uh, spoken very often. So congratulations on that. But he's also <laughs> a logistics uh, professional and uh, somewhat of a poet in describing uh, you know, the, the whole mining industry. So... <laughs> I can't thank you enough for joining us, James. I think we could dive uh, in the future with more specifics on some of the things that we spoke about, but today I think it was a great, great summary and, and really yeah. appreciate your time today. No, it was great to have, uh,
1: to spend time with Yeah, I really enjoy it. Thanks for yeah. listening awesome. to my music.
0: Well, I'd like to uh, thank our audience today for joining us on Uptime Logistics. Of course, it's powered by Cap Logistics, and you can find more information about the show in the description below. Uh, Don't forget to like and subscribe to the uh, YouTube channel. And please visit caplogistics.com for all of your logistics and transportation uh, solutions. Thanks again and have a great day.